my privilege to interview Barry Paxman. He's been on my list to interview for the Noobsphere podcast for a long, long time. If you're brand new here, though, this is the Noobsphere podcast. My name's Isaac with Shrek, and I get to interview spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world, and I've been doing it now for more than eight years. This interview has been more than eight years in the making. Uh, I saw Barry on One Fish Legends many years ago, the documentary by um, Richard Leonard out of South Africa. Barry featured in it quite prominently, and uh, he's been on my hit list for a long time, so it was a real... Real pleasure to sit down in his house and um, hang out with him, see and hear a bit of the journey behind the Aussie reels that are, that Barry's famous for, as well as the um, the mask that we all know and love. Uh, so anyway, a, a quick recommendation though from Bert here. Um, here's a voice message. Have a listen to uh, his recommendation for Barry. Hey Shrek, mate. Over the last two decades, Barry and his wife was kind enough to let us spear in our Spiro club meet at their house and we had many good evenings there having a chat about what our passions and our love is for diving obviously. Um, mate, I would like to recommend Barry as definitely a character and a legend to be interviewed and um, going back when I got here in the 90s I met Frank and Jackie Paxman that is Barry's mum and dad and they were lovely people and definitely made me feel at home right here in W especially when I was a total stranger and a novice not knowing anything about the WO Coast, they definitely opened the doors initially for me and I met some amazing characters then. Um, Barry's dad, Frank, he's the man behind the Paxman legendary old real gun. I'm not going to go into that, you can ask some questions about that. Barry is um, now dad to Scott and Lee, the blue water veins that they got inherited from the old man and the granddad. Definitely runs in a family, all good divers and... Um, Barry's also behind the Aussie Reels that he does with Hans Baylor. Two of them designed, made it. Right here in WA, top product. Once again, come out of WA. And um, definitely worth asking some questions about that as well. Mate, um, that's all I need to say at this point, I think. Birdie from Old Man Blue. Happy hunting to you all. And hopefully you interview Barry, mate. Have a good one. Bye. All right, so before we get into this interview, I've got a couple of quick shout-outs. Um, Barry coming up in a second. I've got four quick shout-outs. So Tom says, Shrek, absolutely loving the podcast, and I don't even spare yet. But after listening to about 30 episodes, my theory is a bloody awesome, even if I have just developed a dodgy Aussie Kiwi accent while listening so much. I'll be in the water soon to put the theory into action. Should have the cash to get a gun at the end of the month. Can't wait. Keep up the great work. That's Tom from Dorset. So I love emails like that. They they keep us going. A review on podchaser.com forward slash noob spirit says, from veterans to noobs, after having listened to every episode, I can truly say that this podcast is something for everyone, from the most experienced diver to someone who is just getting wet. The format of the show is comprehensive for someone in a work environment who'd like to listen, work, and have a good laugh. Thank you, Shrek, for inspiring me to jump feet first back into my most expensive hobby. <laughs> Safe dives and take care. Riley out of the US. Thanks, Riley. Um, guys, you might have heard about the shark attack over in WA recently. Um, there's a video if you want to sort of hear a little bit of his story. His name's Robbie Peck. It's on YouTube. You can go to 7 News Australia and uh, type in Robbie Peck survives shark attack in WA uh, off the off Port Hedland, um, stoked that he's still with us and fantastic news. I, I think um, 
by the looks of it and the sounds of it, I think he may return to um, near full health as well. Um, that's just my perspective from after it, not having any first-hand news. But uh, it was cool. I, I, I got a fright uh, after hearing it. It's not, not news you want to hear in our spearfishing community. Um, Douglas, last last shout-out before we get into this interview with Barry. Douglas says, Shrek, I come across your podcast when I started researching info on building spear guns. I've been spearing for a little while and tried four different guns belonging to buddies. However, I'm always one to enjoy making my own stuff, so I set out to make my own gun. Your podcast had a wealth of information from great builders and spearers that enhanced my experience and gave me the info I needed to successfully build my own roller gun. In addition, the segment on Gyotaku helped with that interest as well. Not only did I make my own gun, it works great, and I was able to harvest, eat, and paint a few fish. It's been amazing. I'm ready to make my own 2.0 version with what I learned through the experience. Thanks again for great content and entertainment. I love the humor and enthusiasm woven into each episode. Best regards, Doug. Um, yeah, and he chucked in a few photos. You guys love emails like this, love reviews of the podcast. Um, thanks so much for being part of this community and making the Noob Spirit what it is. Let's get into this long-awaited interview with Barry Paxman. Here we go. I can't wait to get into today's episode, brought to you with proud partner, adreno.com.au. The Noob Spirit Podcast has been partnering with adreno.com.au for more than 100 episodes, and these guys are awesome. They have uh, huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country. You can shop online or in store. Use the code NoobSpiro whenever you spend more than $200, and you will automatically save $20. That's right. Use the code NoobSpiro online or in store when you spend more than $200 and save 20 bucks. I love these guys. I remember the first time I brought a spear gun at adreno.com.au down at the Wollongabba store and Adreno have been a huge part of the excitement that I have about spearfishing. Check them out at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save. The NoobSpiro podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the US. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the US. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOBSPIRO at neptonics.com. Hey, okay, g'day, Noob Sparrows. Uh, today I'm in Barry Paxman's house. Um, I've been trying to tee this interview up for a few years, Barry. You're a difficult man to pin down. You're not a lover of technology or social media. So um, it's nice to finally meet you in person. Yeah, it's not nice to be pinned down. <laughs> <laughs> not by a hundred and odd kilo bloke, anyway. <laughs> um, I um, solicited the Noob Sparrow community on Facebook for a bunch of questions. So we might start there if that's all good. Yeah. For sure. Um, before we before we do that, though, um, you've been in the water for sixty odd years or something. Yeah, a good sixty five. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 pretty awesome. Um, are you still as passionate now about spearfishing and jumping in the water as you were when you started? Yeah, that's sort of debatable on some days. <laughs> on the nice days, I always am. Yep. <laughs> His wife's just frantically telling me that he is. So yeah, yeah. No, I I must say these days, you know, when you get real foul weather and big swell and dirty water, it doesn't entice me like it used to. Yeah, you'd um, persevere. Yeah, you. I used to persevere, but these days there is not as many fish around, and 
I, I don't like diving up and down all day in muck uh, mm. to come home with nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Did you see the bloke the other day, the father that got bitten pinged by the bull shark? What do you think of that? I heard about it, yeah. Um, I don't really know the details. so I don't either. I can't really sort of comment on it unless he had a fish in his hands or something silly like that. Probably not with bull sharks. Sometimes in that dirty water, that's why I made, made me mention it. Like they, they're different animals. Yeah. Mm. Um, they, the doctors managed to save his arm. I did hear that, and so that's good news for him and his family. Well, I, I th- believe he had a fair bit of uh, muscle uh, lost. But, yeah, right. But I don't know. Mm. Um, I've had a couple of guys on my boat that have been bitten. Um, n- I mean, not life-threatening or anything, but just. Similar sort of a bite. One guy was bitten on his arm around the elbow and Greg Pickering got bitten on his calf. Um, something a bit different. <laughs> Far out. So in, the, in both those situations, were you part of a, 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 a applying first aid or did you just get straight on the throttle and get them back? No, well, the first aid wasn't that dramatic. All we did was um, heavily wrap it, you know, to try and keep stuff together. Yep. Um, the bleeding wasn't that great, um, and we just got them back to shore. You know, it was it was what you'd just normally do. Mm-hmm. No panic. It was. It's quite amazing, really. In a situation like that, you'd think you'd be sort of hyped up on that, but you just do what you do. Yeah. So, did it change the way you? Like first aid kits and stuff like that, the way you sort of, any of your standard operating sort of stuff, did you change anything about the way you, you, you did stuff? Well, over the years now we've um, kept, uh, you know, sort of professional style tourniquets in the boat and that, but fortunately so far so good, you know. So when someone gets punctured by a shark, I mean, this is pretty horrible reality to think about and it's really deep to start the conversation on but I'm just imagining like with a shark you're going to end up with a lot of ragged cuts through neoprene so is it is it cutting away that wetsuit or how what 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 sort of I've never it's never happened to me I've never seen it I'm just sort of thinking out loud about it pretty pretty clean cuts yeah pretty clean cuts uh the ones I've seen in person have been from from whalers and uh uh, pretty clean sort of a cut, you know, and like I said, we just uh, wrapped them up tightly and uh, we weren't that far from shore. Not close to really professional uh, people to, you know, fix it up, but yeah. they were transported back to Perth and all was good. It's all right. Well, so it sounds like um, having a... So some some sparrows are still guilty of not really having much of a first aid kit on their boats. I think a tourniquet and some compression bandages are yeah. sort of a must-have. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but even now we don't don't have a heap of gear. You know, I mean, if there's something really serious, what are you going to use? I mean, yeah, you could cut up a wetsuit and stretch that around bits and pieces. But uh, if you're a long way away from major surgery, well, I think you're in big trouble anyway. It's a scary thought. <laughs> Again, we're going pretty deep, pretty fast. Um, sharks on, on the West Coast, you, you, you've said um, fish populations, are, have, you've seen a decline over the years. What about shark populations? Oh, they've definitely increased from from when I first started diving. Um, 
There's so many whalers and they're really big fellas these days. Duskies or, or bronzies? They're what we call a black whaler. Okay. Yeah. Um, we get bronzies further down south, like around Albany and uh, maybe Augusta at times. Okay. But there's heaps of white sharks here now too. Mm. And um, I, I bumped into one a few years back. Well, it tried to bump into me, but come out, up out of about 95 feet of water, straight up like a lamppost, straight Ooh. underneath me. Very scary. Oh. Mouth half open. Um, it looked like a jet fighter coming up. All you could see was the two pectoral fins and the dorsal fin and this big grinning face. Oh, wow. And uh, the guy in the boat had it come past him and he reckons it was well bigger than the boat. Far out. My, my boat's 18 foot, so it was, it's a big beast. Mm. You, you, I just didn't realise how bulky they are, you know, mm. massive. Uh, it'd have to have at least close to two metres depth in the middle and then a, then a metre dorsal on top. Yeah. And this thing sort of spun around and veered off from me, broke the surface of the water, crashed back down into the water, spun around, come in the front of me and I just poked at it. And, and fortunately, my mate was only about... 50 feet from me prior to that, and he, he was right next to me then. We were both prodding this thing off for about 10 minutes and, until our um, drift boat come past to pick us up. Oh, that'll be a hectic 10 minutes. Oh, mate, you didn't have time even to stick your head out and scream. Yeah. <laughs> Pe- people, people that don't know sharks too, like, aren't aware, like you, we were just talking about how big they bloody are, but they, they can also turn on a dime. Oh, this... This white shark was agitated, mate. Very, very frightening for me. I, I don't want to do that again too soon. <laughs> do you think once, if, you, if you've managed to spot them, because uh, it sounds like they're coming from below and, and up as oh, they're typical yeah. of their hunting. Yeah. But do you think once you've sort of, if you've busted them in the act of that part, do you think the rest of it, like when it's in, you know, they're swimming around you and they're coming in on you, is that more more... Do you think the game's up sort of thing once you've busted them coming up at you? Look, in all honesty, I reckon if my mate wasn't there giving me a hand, I would have been in real big trouble. Yeah, This thing was intent, you know. Mm. Um, I, 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 I think if I hadn't seen it on the bottom before it came up and I'd kept swimming, it probably would have been a bit more excited, you know. But I just stayed perfectly still, held my gun in down, sort of pointy at it, and it veered off when it got about a metre away from the end of the gun. Mm. And I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't seen it coming. Was it was it overwhelming fear? Like, did you, was your heart in your mouth the whole time, or was it...? No, no, I must say I found myself being quite calm, but what else can you do? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, that's Fight it. or flight sort of thing, like... Some people talk about freeze, though, and sometimes that can happen. Sometimes, though, if you're in the moment, it's like you almost don't have time to feel anything. You're too busy just responding to the sort of situation in front of you. Is that sort of more? Yeah, well, you're just almost mesmerised by this thing coming up off the bottom. I mean, as straight as a die, straight at you, you know, from vertically underneath. Mm. Yeah, yeah well. Wow. <laughs> 
They're menacing, aren't they? There's a sense oh. of like, there's just a sense of dread when you see a big shark. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. But yeah. just, uh, I get the sense from you. This, just you know, like when you when you start talking about the girth of a big aggressive shark, yeah, they, I don't know, you can't help but just go, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in trouble here. Yeah, that's I think the third one that I've seen or been close to. Yeah, right. So the, the other two times were they not not nearly as uh, dramatic, or they more placid, calm? Well, when I was sixteen, had one up at Wedge Island, come in and circle around me, uh, like as close as you are now, what's that, just over a metre. Mm. And I could see in its mouth, out through its gill slits, and it just kept circling around me. Uh, and I, you know, I didn't even really know. It was just a big shark. I didn't know what it was. So, Far you know, <laughs> And one of the guys jumped in the water and uh, used a shotgun smoky on it and it hit it in the gills and it just took off and never saw it again. So it didn't, didn't kill it, just...? Oh, I think it would have. There was a lot of blood coming out, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, it never saw it again anyway, so... Mm. And only talking to other people afterwards did I sort of realise what it was. Far out. yeah. Good fun, though, hey? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get into some of these questions. I, yeah. I'm looking forward to finding out some of the things, other things that have intrigued you over your life. Um, do you know Trevor Ketchin from the, the East Coast? Are you familiar uh, with him? Uh, only um, through Facebook and that. I, okay. haven't, I haven't actually met, met him. All right. Well, he, he sounds, sounds like he's a pretty keen diver. <laughs> oh, mate, he's pretty keen, all right. He, uh, he loves it. He's a good man too. Um, he's intent on you adopting him. He says, okay, will you adopt me, please? <laughs> uh, um, Joe says, uh, what is his trick uh, to keep from getting buck fever when a big fish is first noticed? He says, I always seem, it seems like my heart skips a beat when I see my prey and and uh, fish sense that right away and I ru it ruins my opportunities with big fish. So talk about how you manage buck fever if you can. Oh, buck fever, it's still the same, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes you do panicky stuff because there's other divers in the water as well. Yeah. And you're, you're really competing, you know. It's, um, but I, I guess you, 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 at least you know what to do when you get old and grey. Mm. And um, you still sort of compete all right with other people, but I don't get overly excited unless I know I need to dive quickly and that's that doesn't help mm. and I don't know what you do about that mm. so like if you're you're on the surface with your with your mates or whatever maybe you've just jumped in and a big school of mackerel swim in from one side to the other and they just come in nice and slow big fellas though yeah you still get that rush Oh, you definitely get a bit of a rush about it, but I I don't rush because I know they'll be back and you know they'll keep cruising around all day. Mm. So it's not really a panic thing with mackerel. If it was a big dewy, on the other hand, yeah, that bit might be a bit different. Okay. Yeah. So you, so some fish elicit a different response from you. Oh, some of them make you definitely. Okay. Yeah, you know a big. Big Dewey, you don't bump into them every day. And if you've got another couple of guys in the boat, 
that are in the water with you, uh, you've got to beat them to it. That's all there is to it, you know? Yeah. I was chatting with Vin this morning. He says um, he was diving with you a couple of weeks ago, and he said, um, are you in your 70s now, Barry, or yeah, late 60s? Yeah, well, oh. well, well into 70s. Oh, yeah, far out. Well, you're in good nick. But he said uh, he said you're still an absolute beast in the water. So, oh, Not compared to him now. Yeah. <laughs> not compared to Vin. Gee whiz. Yeah. But uh, he, he really enjoyed diving with you, and um, so I guess you're still competitive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, I can't dive like I used to. Um, breath holds basically gone to shit. <laughs> I mean, ask me to dive 80, 80 or over 80 feet now and I'd, I'd need a few weeks' practice, mate. <laughs> yeah, right. <righto. laughs> um, no, it's getting harder and harder. The weather's been so bad here too, you just don't get out enough. And mm. for me, if I don't dive every week, it just doesn't doesn't set me up for diving. What do you do when you start? Because um, it's hard going backwards. Like like any time. Like I've had big dry spells where my, my dive fitness is gone and my chest just doesn't feel good when I'm starting to um, get down a bit and my breath hold feels pathetic. I've got no CO2 tolerance and stuff like that. And I, it's neither here nor there. But, I mean, what do you do? Do you just adjust to your limitations? How, how, where does the wisdom come into that? Because with a lot of young guys, and even myself, like I'm not very wise at times. I just I think, oh, well, last week I dived this, so I'm going to dive at this again today. Yeah, well, that's what a lot of people think, you know, um, deep divers and so on. Uh, one day you can dive 100 feet and do it comfortably. But it depends what you've been doing, what you've been eating, uh, how you've been sleeping, just how physically fit you are. You know, next week... You might only be able to do half that because you're not not up to scratch. Mm. So, and I just find that if I go out and, you know, sometimes you can't even get thirty feet comfortably. Mm. Well, I just um, strain a bit and just keep on going, try and hold my breath as long as I can, and over an hour or two, you start getting a bit better. Mm. But it's still not quite the same as when I was like forty or fifty or something. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I reckon probably I did my best diving um, between forty and sixty. Yeah, right. Um, I had really good breath hold then. Uh, used to, I mean, I never really dived all that deep, but you know, uh, say ninety to a hundred feet was probably really my limit. Yep. Um, but. I have dived deeper on odd occasions, like out at the Cocos Islands or something like that, but, mm. but that's you, rare. You don't have to dive deep either to shoot good fish either, do you? You don't, no. I mean, most of our diving would be between 30 to 60 feet. Yep. And, you know, that's not easy anymore, mm. but, you know, you do it. You do it. You're notorious for a couple of things. Um, there's a question about about it coming up, um, but your mask is very iconic. You're still diving with the old school, um, are they porthole? I can't remember what the masks are called. What are they? Yeah, the old barley mask. Yep. Undersea barley mask, yeah. So where are you getting them from? Have you got an unlimited supply? or? Uh, I just look online and there seems to be some around. Yep. But don't tell that to everyone because they <laughs> might want them too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guys out in uh, Tahiti, uh, 
they they still use a lot of them. Okay. Yeah, I've had them ask me if I can get them for them. <laughs> yeah, right, eh? Yeah. So you haven't got a um, – because obviously you've got Aussie Reels as, as a massive um, draw card – I mean, for you, you you know, like your reels are iconic and used around the world. Um, you also do wetsuits and other gear as well. Have you do, ever done masks? No, never. Mm, no. I would have thought you would have made that. The, the barley mask could very easily become the Barry Paxman mask. It's that iconic, I think. Yeah, I don't know, mate. Um, you know, everyone's got their particular likes and it's got to fit your face. Mm. It'd probably suit you with all that bloody hair on there, mate. <laughs> A lot of people talk about like because when pet divers are new, they think, "Oh, I need to, uh, uh, I need a porthole like a, a single lens, so that um, you know, it doesn't disrupt my vision and stuff." And then we've all most most divers use that dual lens thing. Speak to the advantages of a barley mask, if you like, over um, sort of the more contemporary masks. Well, for me, um, I find it claustrophobic having that piece that comes down over the middle of your nose. Yeah, right. Yeah, it just doesn't suit me. I've tried a few times. I'll just keep coming back to the good old Ali mask. The only drawback from that is you do lose a lot of air you mm. know, uh, through compensating and so on. Mm. But you just you just do what you do. Yeah. You know? Well, when you're down at 60 feet, you're down to a third of the volume in your lungs that you were at the surface, and then that compensation is filling up your mask again with the air from your lungs, basically. Yeah. So I can see it would be a bit of a challenge. Is it fairly low volume, the barley masks you're using, or are they just standard ones, you find? Just standard ones, yeah. Yeah, righto. Quite high volume, really. Um, I don't do it too much these days, but... What I used to do was on the way, as soon as I started coming back up, I could hold my mask really tight on my face and actually suck some of the air back in from yeah. it. You don't get much, but I don't know whether it really helped, but I used <laughs> to do it. <laughs> they, they, I think they do that in advanced freediving circles as well. They'll teach that. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've heard Spiros talk about it as well. That's a good trick. Um Brendan asks, what's the biggest change um, he's seen in, you've seen in spearfishing during your, you know, your decades in the water? And what are your views on the future of spearfishing? Massive question there from Brendan. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, I wouldn't even know really where to start. I mean, when I first started, there was no restrictions on what you could do, where you could go. There's... So many marine parks now, you've got to be careful where you're, where you're stopping and what you're taking. Uh, back in the old days, there was, wasn't even any limits on what fish you could take or how many you could take. Mm. Uh, so that's one great big change. And the, the other big change is the gear. You know, people are so spoilt with gear now. Mm. Back in the old days... There was no such thing as a GPS, um, so every time you went out, you it were either relying on landmarks or just memory for distance and stuff like that to try and find the same spot again. Mm. But now people can just keep going back to places where they know there's fish and keep plundering them, mm. and eventually 
things just get wiped out, you know. Yeah. And it, it is happening. Mm. There's so many divers and so many line fishermen as well. They're just as bad uh, as far as, uh, you know, getting on a school of Jewies and just taking whatever they want out of it. Mm. But I don't know. It's pretty sad really, but it's just a reality of fishing now. Yeah, there's lots of interesting conversations to be had about fisheries management. I mean, uh, you guys are facing this nine-month demersal ban. Um, yeah. That must be uh, – how, how is that going to affect you and, and, and the way your crew dive and stuff? Oh, it'll be pretty drastic. Uh, obviously, you'll have to – if you want to go diving, you'll have to target something else, uh, which is going to be pretty terrible. Because some people, some people start targeting Samson fish and other pelagic fish, which a lot of people don't really do these days. They just select some good demersal fish. Um, I don't know. Hmm. All I can say is thank God there's lots of Spanish mackerel out there <laughs> at certain times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, um, the barley mask is very iconic. Obviously, uh, we talked about Aussie reels a little bit as well. Um one of the other things is you've just shot some enormous um, pelagic species over your time. I've seen photos of you holding up just ridiculous fish of a lifetime. Samson yeah, fish are one of them. No, but I'm a little guy. It makes them look, <laughs> makes them look big. <laughs> oh, but I've still seen some, some absolute tank fish, like fish that are far bigger than you. Um, wahoo, sambos. What, what's your favourite game fish to target? Oh, I, I love shooting mackerel uh, and wahoo. Mm. And I, I, I enjoy hunting tuna too, but they're a very hard fish to um, to get onto here. Mm. So you got to go wide, real wide? Uh, I think what you've got to be is just lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's half of spearfishing, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, half the other half of it is tricks that you never want to share with other people. <laughs> well, with um, with with um, with Wahoo, for example, um, what was? Can you remember like if the first time you you hunted one and deserved to get it, and walk us through that process if you can of of learning to hunt Wahoo. Well, when you say learning to hunt Wahoo, that's sort of a bit of a broad statement because the first time I saw Wahoo was up at Exmouth and this fish come by and I thought that's a weird looking mackerel and I did a long dive on it, stuck a spear in it and it took off and ripped off mm. and then I thought to myself that's not a mackerel. Anyway it was a quite a decent Wahoo and that was my first introduction to them. And since then, I hadn't seen one for probably 10 or 15 years. And we started diving out wide. And one day, this huge school of wahoo came, in, came through nearly on the surface. There must have been, I'd be guessing, like 40 or 50 wahoo. Wow. And they were all in a big bunch. If you've ever seen, uh, like, prints of them, you know, all coming towards you and then they sort of all veer in all directions. That's exactly what it was like. 
and oh. and one just happened to come close enough without me even doing much, <laughs> and um, that was um, a new state record at that time. It was about twenty eight or twenty nine oh, kilos wow. or something, and they they give you a bit of a toe, hey. Yeah, I've never shot one. Oh, mate. Yeah, I've never shot one. Yeah. So, like, part of the thing for me is scratching my own itch. That's what I'm asking you about about Wahoo in particular. Um, so, did you get lucky with a shot? I mean, how, how far did it tow you? Where did you shoot it? Um, it was, as I recall, it was somewhere around mid body. Um, in actual fact, I, I think you're probably better off hitting it about halfway back because there's a bit of solid meat there. Well, more solid. So, behind the pectoral. And between the tail and the pectoral sort of thing, somewhere uh, um, back, back sort of yeah, half yeah, of the body. Yeah, yeah, okay. just like uh, where just above the anal fin, somewhere there, really, okay. uh, where there's no gut cavity and okay. where there's solid meat. I mean, it buggers up a bit of meat, but you're probably going to get the fish. Yeah, that part of the meat too, that sort of the back end of the belly, like it's quite bony in there too, yeah. which gives you something to hold on to, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I must say, you take whatever shot you can get. Yeah. But you can be lucky. I've found there's different ways of um, trying to get close to them now. You can turn away from them. Sometimes they'll come around in front of you. Sometimes they won't. Same with mackerel. Or um, you can act, act casual and sort of... Do the Hawaiian finger movement, you know. Yep, yep. Uh, sometimes I get excited about that, or you can carry a flasher with you in your hand Throw if, you, if you know they're around. Yeah, and sometimes that'll work really well. What sort of throw flasher design are you uh, working with? Just a, like a bit of pipe, shiny pipe, or no? We generally use a uh, double-sided uh, plastic mirror. Okay. Uh, and you put something on it like um, a piece of spear gun rubber or um, or something that's slightly floaty just to slow its travel oh, yeah. uh, when you throw it in the water. So what, you just sort of ballast that like yeah. just in a bit of water in like in a tub or something just to make sure it slowly sinks? Yeah. Another good thing to use that I found was good for initially for dog tooth tuna is um, a cool drink can with a bright surface on it. You crush it with one foot so that the two ends sort of turn upwards like like a banana. It goes a bit like a banana. And you take that out and it just drifts down through the water very slowly and you can just, you've got plenty of time to let it get down to about 80 or 90 feet. Mm. before, you know, like you start diving down when it's about 70 feet to go and retrieve it for another go. Yeah. But that works awesome. I've seen doggies come racing in and grab that. Wow. Yeah. Another fish I haven't shot, Barry. (laughs) (laughs) I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot Spear Guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot Spear Guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust. 
fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot Spear Gun at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at KillshotSpearGuns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Today's new Spear podcast is brought to you by Penetrator Fins, used by leading freedivers and Spearos, including Australian Spearos like Ian Puckridge, Kate Rogers, uh, the dynamic freediving record holder Ben Eckhart, Hawaii's Justin Lee, Kylie Umeda, as well as Canadian ice diver Magali Coat. Penetrator Fins are praised by proven performers from all over the planet. Have you got yourself a pair? Visit penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on any pair. That's right, go to penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro, choose yourself a pair of Penetrator Fins and get reliability that you can depend on. Penetratorfins.com. Sometimes with weather and commitments, it's a long time between drinks in your spearfishing journey. If you want a dry training program that can keep you in some kind of shape for spearfishing, check out Ted Hardy's 28-day freediving transformation at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. That's noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Now, the 28-day freediving transformation is just a practical dry training plan that Ted Hardy will walk you through and it will help you get results even if you can't get wet at the moment. Check it out at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. We were talking about your reels. Um, the way you've made your reel and design is a bit different than a lot of the other stuff, particularly was on the market back in the day. Um, describe the evolution of it for me, if you can. Like, What, what, was, the, what was the motivation behind making it? Um, we started making reels for... Um uh, rail guns because there wasn't really anything available at the time and we just sort of made something that could clamp on there. It wasn't great but it worked and um, we had it had to have it all fully machined and it was pretty expensive, you know. We, it cost us like around $200 to have one made. Oh, wow. Um, but we, a few of the guys started wanting them and we kept machining them. They had to pay the, the money, you know, if they wanted them. And uh, after we made, you know, probably a dozen or so, we figured that if people want them this much, we're going to have to do something a bit more serious about it. Yeah. So we did a lot of designing and stuff. Of course, the design has to change a lot if you're going to mould stuff. Mm. Um, and anyway, we, we started out with some pretty good mouldings and so on. And they were quite successful to some degree, but we made a mistake with the spools. We cheated in a way in, in how we made them. We made them in two halves and glued them together. Okay. And it was really not, not really good. Um, what were the problems you were having, jams? Uh, the, the whole problem is is... The actual uh, spool halves were forced apart with the with the uh, pressure of the line in between. Okay. Um, and I think that that's sort of to do with uh, the water expanding, expanding the the cord and that, and also just you know sh people shooting big fish. Mm. Anyway, we quickly fixed that up, and um, anyone that did have a problem with it. We just gave them a new new style spool. 
I don't know if there's still any of the old ones around there, but mm. if anyone had a problem with them, we'd, we'd replace that anyway. Mm. We, we don't hold back with our gear. If, if someone has a problem, we'll sort it out straight away. Mm. A lot of people aren't aware of the development cycle of making something like what you made, and they're not aware of how many times you iterate and improve and sometimes they buy something off the shelf and they're not they don't they don't they don't realise that that's version twenty eight, you know, yeah. of, of where you started. So yeah, it's pretty cool to hear some of the story of how you got to where you are now. Yeah. There's always little tweaks you do. Um, you probably wouldn't even notice what they were, but we're we're lucky because these reels are actually moulded in Australia, only down the road from where we are here. Yeah, right. And uh, because of that, we we can keep control of what's going on. Mm. I, do you think, um, you know, like we're talking really small-scale stuff here. I mean, spearfishing's a pretty small sport, and you guys are making a lot of reels and selling them all over the world, but it's still a relatively small world. But the, the idea of keeping manufacturing close to home, I think it's, it's gaining a lot more traction. I think a lot of manufacturing is slowly starting to come back. Um, the advantages are... Obviously, reduce shipping and freight, and you can control the quality a lot more. Yeah. Um, do Do you think we're going to start seeing more of that? Do you hope? <laughs> well, it'd be nice to think that Australia was manufacturing something. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know whether we'll see that, but we sort of briefly looked at maybe getting stuff made in China. But then the main distraction from that was that. To get stuff made there, you really don't have control over what's actually being, and the shipping costs getting it back here to distribute would be just horrendous. Mm. And you know, pe- people can't afford all these add up add up costs. Yeah, so it just made it hard. Mm. And another problem a lot of people have had, uh, despite spearfishing again being quite a small lifestyle sport. Um, there's still a lot of theft of IP, uh, people stealing designs and copycatting stuff. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a compliment because obviously you've made something worthy of copying. Um, I'm not trying to shit stir or ask a, a, a terrible question here, but have you had much of that happen with your Aussie Real designs? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Excuse me, guys. <clears throat> no, I really don't know if anyone sort of tried to copy it or... If they did, well, good luck to them. It's, it's, um, I, I mean, there's a lot of expense goes into the moulding gear and stuff. I, I don't know what we've spent on moulds, but you'd have to be looking up between fifty and a hundred thousand mm. dollars. Anyone that wants to do that and try and compete, well, good luck to them. It's a significant barrier to entry. Yeah, yeah, cool. Ah, awesome. Um, well, just while we're chatting the reels, I mean, have you got a website? Is it yeah, yeah, just Aussie Reels. Oh, that's easy. It. So wait, is it .com or .com.au? Yeah, and we've got a Facebook page as well. All right, cool. All right, well, people can go and check that out. Um, very popular Reels. Um, Sam asks, uh, well, first of all, he says you're a very down-to-earth bloke, so it won't be hard to ask good questions, but he says um, back in the day before you had um, all the gear that were that's available now, um, how did you? How did you? How did you deal with it? Like, um, I mean, you and I were chatting before we jumped on about some of the fins that you had to deal with. I mean, they were available, but they weren't very like what we have these days. Oh, you, you did right. 
um, you know, the, uh, what do you call, frog fins with a <clears throat> strap across the back, tiny little things, using that. That was when I was about no, 10, I suppose. And for hunting, well, we'd, when I first started, we weren't hunting fish, we were shooting crayfish with a pranger, you know, just a, a hand spear. Yep. You just develop from there and if you needed to make a, a spear gun or something, you actually had to manufacture the spear, make a timber gun. Then I know some guys made – reels were a big thing in WA. Everyone had one. No one uses used floats mm. um, not, not to attach their gun to. Um, sometimes they towed floats just to put fish on. Um, and visibility for boats, I guess, as well. There was no boats in those days, mate. <laughs> you didn't have to worry about things like that. I'm serious. Or jet skis. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, and back in those days you couldn't even get a wetsuit. So initially it was just just a pair of bathers and, you know, you got real cold so you weren't in the water that long. But then I graduated to a woolen jumper. <laughs> and and I think that was worse than anything. <laughs> you couldn't swim with it. Uh, but yeah, there's been a lot of improvements. You know, the, the fins got really good. Those continental giants, they were really great. <laughs> <laughs> Until better stuff came along. You know. Um, were they heavy? Oh, clunky, mate. I I had some spora sub fins um, after a number of years. Uh, when I was about, I don't know. 16, 17 or something, and I told one of my mates he could try them and I put his old Continental Giants back on. I don't know how you swim with those things. <laughs> They're crazy, eh? <laughs> yeah. Jeepers, but, you'd, you'd work a big pair of legs to power them, I reckon. No, not really, but they just, I don't know. I used to use them for years. And mm. I thought they were great back then. <laughs> a lot of people say the same thing even now, like when you're in a swimming pool and um, you go from using just plastics, which is, which is still like really good quality now, yeah. um, and then you go to carbons and it feels good, but it doesn't feel dramatically different. No. But then they put their old plastic fins back on and then they go, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think sometimes it's like until you have a point of comparison, you don't realise how, how good you've got it. Yeah, it's true. I, I've tried a number of different carbon fins, um, but I think Ray Powell's ones are pretty good. But I still use the um, glass ones. Uh, I, quite soft ones, but I find them pretty good. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm running glass trips on uh, um, com um, composites on this trip as well, and yep. I like them, but in a soft these days, whereas... Um, yeah, uh, I've got I've gone softer and softer fins as I've I've kind of gone on. Yeah, I've sort of getting used to that. Yeah, but it does take getting used to. Yeah, and I think you've got to um, sort of sort out what sort of a um, wetsuit you're going to use. You know, thickness wise and your weight belt. Mm. It's all got to fit in together. Mm. Do you use a harness? No, just a belt. Yep, and homemade belt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I've used. I use the same style for decades, mate. Rubber, silicon. It's conveyor belt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we make our own D-shaped one-pound weights, so you've got them wrapped right around the weight belt. 
Again, obviously, the flat part of the D lies flush against your hips. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And what about the buckle? Is it quick release? Um, you know, the old wire quick release. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. We make our own ones of those. Okay. Well, what's Why have you stuck with that over, you know, your more common sort of like Marseille rubber or silicon-style belts that are popular these days? Most of those are meant for um, these big clunky weights. Uh, and I find that they're they're not so good if you're getting your line wrapped around you accidentally or something. Yeah. Um, yep. The other ones are designed like they're a lobster back style thing that it's a bit more difficult to get your line hooked on. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with the big fish you like you love to target too. Like um, getting caught up in a line would be probably one of the most serious risks you face, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's it's always a possibility and you've just got to keep it in your mind. Mm. Like I, I keep telling people when they're using a reel, you you never start pulling the fish up and stay in one spot. You've got to keep swimming forward so all the line goes out behind you. You don't get tangled up in it. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge one. Um, have you had any bad tangles, like where you got caught in shooting line uh, or, or in, in oh, your reel line? I did get... Badly wrapped up with a tuna one time. Um, I shot a quite a decent yellowfin tuna, and it stayed quite alive even when we got it up towards the surface. And next thing you know, it because you hang onto the line, it just whips around you, and then you got line wrapped around you. My son come to help me, and he got hooked up in it as well. Oh far out! I mean, if if it was a hundred kilo fish or something, you'd really be in big trouble, but it wasn't that big. <laughs> yeah, well. It was only about a 35 kilo one or something. If you do get a fish like in close to you like that and it's still like pretty lit up, is it worth just putting another spear in it just so that you you, you, you reduce that risk? Sometimes we do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sometimes we do. Sometimes there's no one near you, you know. Yeah. So Some of those species are real hard to get your hand in the gills too. And they are. Good, good luck holding on to the tail. Yeah. Because that'll just give you the beating of your life, I'd imagine. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I know. That's why I'm putting you the, the question. So what do you do, though? So what's your what's your next go-to? Like, you get a big fish in and it's still lit up, apart from obviously chucking another shaft in it. What, um, the this, this subduing the fish is a uh, – we all develop the skill to deal with it, but it's only through just making mistakes and the pig's ear of it. How, how do you sort of talk someone through that part of it? Mate, I do, <laughs> it's, it's different every time. Yeah, so, I know. Um, I mean, I had one time there where I, I shot one and it was almost through the tail. It was right down very, very close to the tail. And just by the way, that's very solid there. It didn't look like getting off, yeah. but it was still going pretty hard. But it kept slowing down every time I put tension on the on the spear. It must have been pressing on the spine. And because of that, I was able to get my hand in the gills. And actually, I got my hand in both both sides of the gill. So I had what I thought was pretty good control of it. But then because the tension was off the spear, it went ballistic. Oh, wow. And it was towing me around on the surface by my hands that hard that I was struggling to hang on and the other guys were all bloody laughing their heads <laughs> off. It was just incredible. And this went on for probably 15 minutes. I just 
you couldn't do anything because I couldn't let go of it and I was struggling to hang on. But eventually, you know, I managed to um, get one hand out and get a knife into it. So it was all good. But for a while there, that was horrific, mate. That was probably one of the hardest battles I've ever had. Mm. Mm. Braining a fish. Um, when you've got a big fish like that or a big scull, are you, are you braining in behind the eye with a lot of these fish or are you going in through the top of the head? And how do you hold the knife in your hand? Oh, um, generally I, I, I go from the side, just behind the eye, but I, I, I notice that a lot of guys go on top mm. and I've, I've found it pretty successful from the side. you just got to know where the spot is. Yeah. And that, that's really pretty good. But I prefer to do that with a spear. <laughs> oh, do you? No, I mean, <laughs> when you shoot the oh, thing. Oh, yeah, 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 you're staying it. Yeah. Are you a pretty good shot? It just depends on the opportunity, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's never a, a given. With Hail Marys, you know, because we all take them. Yeah, like, we do. Especially with good fish. Um how disciplined are you with trigger, with, with going, nah, I'm just going to wait and hopefully get another pass? Like, and, and has that changed for you over the years? No, I think it's all the same. Um, I, I find that generally you know when you can put a spear into a fish. Um, it's, um, I mean, like mackerel and that, I can shoot them from probably 15 to 17 feet, I would say, with a single rubber gun. Far out. And... I, I use a 1.5 edge. Yeah, it's really good gun. Heavy, it's, it's a heavy, gun. heavy gun really for a, a rail gun. And um, I use a seven and a half mil spear that carries a bit better than you know a seven mil. And when it hits, it hits a bit harder. Mm. It slows them up a bit more. Yeah, I only use a um, 18 mil rubber. I find that with the 18 mil rubber, you can actually stretch it further than what you can stretch a 20 mil rubber. Okay. So it gives you a bit more drive, and not only that, it doesn't go off with quite a bang like the 20 mil does. Okay. And it gives you more accuracy, and it doesn't jerk the gun in your hand. A lot of people would just say that they would struggle to get um, band stretch out of an 18, but I guess with a reduced diameter, because a lot of people move to you know, 12, 14 mil, they love this low internal diameter stuff. Um, the bands are super stretched, though, so I'm guessing you get less life out of them. With your 18 mil, do you know, I mean, it's such a prickly business talking about ratios and how far they stretch and stuff. Do you know with your gun what your what the stretch ratio is? I think it's uh, about three to one. Yep. Um, it varies a bit. Just depends how where I cut the rubber. <laughs> <laughs> but... But it depends on the rubber too. You know, there's so yeah. much rubber around yeah. that's absolute rubbish these days. Yeah. So, and so, and sometimes even if you have got the same brand, like from batch to batch, there can be inconsistency. Have you no, found that? No. No. Nah? No. What are you using? I use Tony Hughes Amber Rubber, and okay. it is awesome. It's the best rubber I've ever used, and I've always used it. And it's consistent. Very consistent. And I, I found that I've tried, when I couldn't get it, I tried using other stuff and it's all just, I've used so many different kinds and I just don't like any of it. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. So uh, has Tony got a website or how are people buying stuff off him still? Uh, I don't know if he's still running his website or not. 
You just uh, give him a seems, call. Seems to go all over the place, but I, yeah, I, I know he just shifted recently, so mm. I still managed to get stuff off him anyway. Yeah, yeah. And and if if I could, I'd buy some more of his guns too, because, oh, I mean I can, but I, I'm rather wrapped in the old century handles. Yep. And that's that's all I use these days. I mean I, I've been using the same edge guns now for. Oh, He's 17 or more years, I suppose. So are you using the, the, the closed muzzle with a, with, with a seven and a half mil shaft? And you, did you say it's a 1.5 or a 1.4? 1. 1.5, 1. yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've stopped using Tony's muzzles on them now. Okay. I put a Rob Allen muzzle on. Um, it's got a skirt on it which you've got to cut away to put into his gun. Okay. But it's... The reason I've done that is so that when you fire the thing, the rubber can actually go forward of the muzzle instead of being held back against the barrel. Oh, okay. Because I, I have had muzzle wraps with those other things where the line, for some reason, maybe it's when you're tracking, um, it catches in there. I actually lost a, a gun to a wahoo like that, um, decent wahoo, probably around the 25 kilo mark. You, you don't expect to get muzzle wrap, and when the spear hit the fish, you know, oh, Jerks great, great, I've got, the, I've got the spear in him, beautiful. Next minute, bunk, and it just pulled the blooming gun straight out of my hand. Yeah. I wasn't ready for it, and I just watched it swim away. <laughs> Far out. Oh, man. That'd be painful. Yeah. Um, do you run a belt reel? Well, you'd think I would. Yeah. Seems <laughs> there's plenty here. Yeah. But I haven't put one on my belt yet. I'm, I'm a very minimalist, if you like, in diving. I keep it down to an absolute bare minimum, whatever I do. Yep. Um, I just don't like carrying extra gear or anything like that. Is that an economy thing with hunting or is it more of a just that you enjoy feeling free and unencumbered? Unencumbered, yeah. Um, a belt reel to me, that's another thing that can get hooked up in stuff. And with our reels, we don't have a, an easy breakaway thing that you can take the belt reel off. Um, it's, I mean, you can take it off, but it's it's not an easy thing to do and replacing that. The only, only way I could see that. It would be a really good thing is to have a belt that's got a belt reel on it, another one that you doesn't have one on, you know, and you can swap over that way. Learn from the best. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com are written and presented by some of the world's best freedivers and most experienced instructors. Lessons learned come from years of freediving and teaching at the highest levels and are now condensed and available for everyone. Go to freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO and you get 20% off any course. Now there's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel, Hands-Free Equalization, there's Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization, even Bi-Finning Essentials. Get that finning technique right. It's the one percenters that make the difference in spearing and allow you to have more time on the bottom and you feel better even doing it. Go to freedivingfamily.com and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com. Friends, check out oldmanblue.com.au. It's quality made dive gear right there in the Western Australia by a really cool team. 
The Old Man Blue team are a very experienced bunch of frothing Spiros that live the life and have done so for a number of years. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. Hey Shrek, holy smokes my big green friend. You guys have been smashing it over there. Every episode of the Noob Sparrow Podcast is full of actionable spearfishing info. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. It's exciting times, and I'm stoked that so many Noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at SpearingMagazine.com. Just wanted to say that Noobers can get an international subscription at SpearingMagazine.com. Also, they can check out our In the Face apparel or get a subscription to the greatest Spearing Magazine on the planet right here at SpearingMagazine.com. Shrek, love the Noob Spiro podcast. This is Jeremy from Spearing Magazine. Thank you, my friend. Okay, well, my next question is, um, like I said earlier, you've shot some huge fish, and we've all come to the end of our reel lines before, and if you don't have something to clip off onto, um, what do you do? Well, you get skull dragged along. <laughs> yeah, I've had some pretty horrific um, surfing. Surfing with Wahoo, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And and I must say that tuna tuna go hard, but I think some of the bigger Wahoo go a lot harder. Yeah, righto. Yeah, they they really just they tow tow you so hard. But you know, it, it's not endless. Um, you try and swim with them as hard as you can, and then. But I don't know whether you're actually doing anything. <laughs> you're just getting dragged along. It's a fun wait, wait, feel. It's fun. Wait till you shoot one. Yeah. Well, I've been dragged by a mackerel, but big, big mackerel before. And um, but I know Wahoo go harder. The mackerel are famous for that one big first run, but Wahoo, I believe, they'll light up again and again. Uh, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, it just depends how well you've hit them. But if you think mackerel go hard. Yeah. You're in for a thrill, mate. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. a big fella, though. Like, it's a lot of yeah. drag. Well, that's... That's um, that's the problem. It, it is going to be a problem because they are a tender fish, yeah. you know, and you need to give them every help you can. So so you're not running about real. So do you guys have a float and float line or a rig line in the boat with the, so the, and the boatie will chuck it to you if you do hook up on something big? No, mate, we don't. Oh, Okay. All right. No, you just deal with it as you. As yeah, you, you as deal you with it. Yeah, I mean, right. I I um, was lucky enough to shoot a marlin one time, um, not not that far offshore, um, and that was in probably around about ninety feet of water, and I had, I think it's one hundred and fifty feet of line on on my gun, mm. and it was wasn't a really big problem. Uh, I mean, it did sort of swim around for a while, but uh, eventually it just rolled over on its back and floated up to the top. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That was, it must have been a good shot. Just exhausted it and... Yeah, it was was a nice shot. It was an easy, easy fish to shoot. Mm. Broad-sided, only about a spear's length away. Mm. So, you know. Do they overheat themselves when they... When you shoot them, or honestly, mm-hmm. mate, I I don't know. Um, it it didn't fight as hard as a lot of fish, okay. but you know it was a pretty good shot. It was um, they've got a lot of cartilage uh, that sort of extends from the spine right up 
to the dorsal, and okay. it was just shot just ever so slightly above the spine and single flopper spear, and it it just um, just kept pulling, you know, a good hard steady pull like like when you've shot a shark or something like that. <laughs> um, Never shot a shark. <laughs> oh, I've shot lots, <laughs> lots back in the old days. Yeah. yeah. Lots of whalers. They, I do actually remember catching sharks on the rod and reel, though, and it's that yeah. steady, strong, hard pull that you can't do much about. Yeah. Yeah, righto. All right, cool. Um, John says, what's your um, best or favourite bit of gear um, that you re- regularly dive with other than your suit and your gun? Favourite bit of gear. Run us through your gear. What are you wearing sort of head to toe on an average day out of Perth or even further north or south? Well, um Obviously, the wetsuit. I I pretty much always wear a five mil wetsuit. On occasions, if the weather's you know the water's been pretty warm, I might stick on a three mil pants. But uh, and back in the old days, I used to wear five mil booties um, because the fins were so harsh on your feet. But now I just wear the three mil ones. Um, pretty comfortable. Some of the foot pockets are good now. Um, I use the diver uh, composite fins, uh, fairly fairly soft. I wear a sheath on my leg for a knife. I use a Victorinox uh, filleting knife mm. for cutting up burley and for dispatching fish. It's a six-inch blade. I wear Aussie Reels gloves. Yeah. <laughs> They're a lightweight sort of Dyneema glove. Um, Do you make them in a big size? Because I, I, I get I get them all the time and, and um, I, I have to stretch them all out because even yeah. the XLs, my hands are too big for them. Yeah, that's the biggest one that we get at the moment. Those Dyneema ones, there's no flex, not enough flex in them for me either. Yeah. I'd love a uh, pair. They, um, the gloves actually uh, soften up uh, for a few years, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, yeah. They're, they're not an extra special glove, but they're pretty cheap and I, I can use uh, a pair for probably, I don't know, four or six months or something like that. You that's know, good without, use, yeah. Yeah, and that's getting craze and and fishing and stuff. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I, what else do I use? Wow. <laughs> that's about it, mate. Do you use a cray bag normally? Like we've, I've given you an old man blue um, sea sack. Do you use them much or, like, will you hang them off the back of your gun or because you're not diving afloat most of the time, are you? No, we don't. Um, generally, when we're diving for craze, there's either two or three of us and um, we share a little um, fishnet bag. It's quite like a, yeah, it's homemade stuff. Yeah. Um, and you just got to slip noose at the top and you just open it up poke one in by the tail and pull it tight again. Yeah, And yeah. you just go along like that. Generally, someone will have the bag and hold it open for you while you chuck a crayon and and then you just move on. Teamwork. Yeah. Mm. The beauty of um, Bert's bag is that you can just poke them through yourself with that, yeah. the ring, hold them open, and, and then you don't have to worry about it too much. Super easy with the, the bit of spear gun rubber on the bottom to open them up at, at the end of it and slop them all out on the ground. Um, you're in WA. You get a few different cray species, don't you? 
Uh, well, down the southwest, you get what we call a southern cray. Oh, yeah. And, oh, okay. and basically, it's the uh, Western Rock lobster that you get for most of the west coast. And there are the coral types of crays you get further up north. Um, there's a few different species there. Are they vegetarians as well, up north? Uh, and is your westerner well, I think vegetarian? They are. No, they, they're, you know, most of the baits fish. They've got huge legs, haven't they? Some the of them do, yeah. Yeah. Is that a, yeah, it's a weird adaptation, isn't it? Like it's a, it'd be interesting to look at why that's happened and why they grow like that. Um, they grow big over here? Uh, I think, you know, like four kilos is a big one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think probably the cray guys actually get some ever so slightly bigger ones than that. Deep water. Yeah, but, you know, you can get the four kilo ones in 10 feet of water. You oh, know? Yeah. It's just if you know where they go, then you know where they, they go, and that's mm. all there is to it. Has your um, cooking changed much over the years? And how do you, like with craze, what, what's your go-to? Oh, I'm not that keen on craze, mate. Yeah? <laughs> no. I, I don't mind eating the jumbo legs. I'll be into any amount of those. But yep. The actual cray flesh, it's not for me. Okay. Not particularly, you know. I mean, I'll eat them, but a couple of year, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just sometimes we go out and get a bunch for Christmas and that, and sometimes we go out and get some for friends that want them or whatever, you know. Yeah, but yeah. That's about it. Mm. A lot of people parboil them these days and then do them on a barbie, but they, they're so hard to, they're so easy to overcook. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've found to get a successful tasting one, mm. cook them in the microwave. Yeah, right, eh? The, the whole cray, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got to, you have to experiment to find out how long you have to cook them for. It depends on the power of the microwave and all that. Yeah, and then. But cooked in their own juices rather than having all the flavour boiled out of them is something different. Yeah, right, eh? It, it's definitely a better taste. That's interesting. Well, for me anyway. yeah, yeah. What about seafood in general, like fish? Um, you, you're a bit sport, like most spirit, we're all sport with how much fish we get and you get fussier and fussier. Sometimes our cooking gets better. What about you What about and your wife? Are you guys like cooking fish? Yeah, we don't, we don't eat massive amounts of it, but um, I, I love eating jewfish. Um, I tend to cook it always the same way. Yeah? I'm a bit like that. I like to cut it fairly... Fairly thin, not not like tissue thick, but and just put it in egg and bread clump, bread crumbs, and um, and you know you can eat a good feed of that at meal, and then if you've got stuff left over, you can keep it for a couple of days in the fridge, and it's even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Got to right be cooked on. in butter though, mate. Butter makes it better. Yeah, I, I like <laughs> butter too, particularly yeah. with Dewey. It's like a fatty. It's often a fatty. And it just goes, those fatty fish, they go so good in butter. Yeah, but your Dewey's not our Dewey. Is it? What's the difference? You don't know what a WA Dewey is. Oh, sorry, a, a, uh, like a DH. A real Dewey yeah, fish. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. no, no, no. Don't get, <laughs> not a Mulloway. Don't, don't, don't go DHU, mate. Yeah. It's actually J-E-W. Okay. You look at their scientific name. Okay. And you, and you can see why. It's just a commercial change. That's what they've done. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I still haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, what, what's their flesh taste like? I've never had one. It's so tender. 
and yeah. it's just very mild flavoured. I yeah. don't I don't like strong flavoured fish. Wow. Oh. Um, I mean, if if I had to pick fish that I wanted to eat, it'd be King George whiting, jewfish, Spanish mackerel, coral trout, black spot tuskfish. Yep. And I've got no reason to go any further. <laughs> you know, <there's, laughs> what do the baldies eat like? Are they good? Uh, and groper. Are they like they're, a? They're black a good spot? fish, but they can be a little bit chewy. You okay. Know? If if you think of um, some of the parrot fish, they can be a bit bit chewy too. I'm not a big parrot fan. No, um, me either. There's um there's always so much. Uh, some countries have got complete bans on spearfishing parrotfish, and I mean we've had our own fisheries change in all the different states with parrotfish. Uh, obviously, like they serve a purpose on the reef, eating off some of the the stuff off the hard coral and that, but. There's a lot of stupidity about it too at some points. It's just like like you can have – I mean, I'm not saying they're overpopulated or anything like that, but they do seem like a sustainable fish. They adapt to spearfishing pressure a lot. Like if, if you jump in the water with parrot that have been hunted a lot, they behave completely different than yeah. places where they haven't been hunted. Well, that's that's a case with most, most fish, isn't it, most species? Yeah, yeah. And they, they all know what it's about. So you, you find – like hunting fish over here because the, the, they're more scarce, are they more flighty and difficult to hunt these days? Uh, close to Perth, I would say Balchin are a little bit more aware. Um, the further north you go, you get some pretty silly ones, which I don't mind at all. <laughs> I still enjoy shooting them even though I don't like to eat them. A lot of people um, that I know love them, so yeah. it's all good. yeah. Um, what's a good size one for me? Because I haven't shot one yet, so I haven't gotten the water over here oh, yet. Look, if if you get a five to six kilo one, that's a pretty good good fish. Okay. But they do get to like nine kilos. Okay. Not that common. Uh, you get pretty big ones around Perth, actually. Okay. But rare. They're not, not so common and usually in deep water. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, it's definitely on my hit list while I'm over here. So, um, Daniel Mann says, um, after spearfishing for more than 60 years, how do you keep the stoke alive and keep on diving week in, week out without getting bored? Well, unfortunately, it hasn't been week in, week out. <laughs> um, the weather has just, over the last few years, has been so horrific that it's a bit of a struggle to find a patch where you can go out and enjoy it, you know? Yep. But... Any time I can get out there, mate, don't you worry. I'm still pretty stoked up about it. Yeah, nice. And and especially when you've got some other keen guys on board, oh. you you got to compete. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't you can't let them shoot everything. How big's your dive group? Like your your regular dive buddies? How many people are you regularly diving with? Uh, there's probably only oh, maybe eight or something like that. You know, yeah, uh, a few different guys. But, you know, it's the old story, when you get older, people seem to have more things that they have to do and yeah. there's been days where you can't rack up a crew or something like that. Do you ever train up young divers? Back in the day. But there's not so many young divers uh, in our group anymore. Yeah. I mean, when, when you say young, I'm sort of thinking, you know, like 10 to 
14 years of age or something like that. Oh, I'm, I'm talking just people that are relatively new to spearfishing. Yeah, I, haven't, I don't really bump into that many people that are, you know, new to spearfishing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but back in the older times, I used to really enjoy taking out all the young guys. Yeah. It was, it was more of a thrill, thrill for me when they shot a good fish, you know. Yep. Because when they start, they can't really dive that deep and they still see fish and eventually they get onto them and, you know, one, once they do, they're never going to stop spearfishing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that's really a thrill for me, you know, because my two boys were going out and we'd take out another couple of young guys as well mm. and that, it was just like they were running amok, mate. <laughs> Back in the day, they couldn't even load their own guns. I had to load the guns for them and stuff. And, yeah. You know, it was just like a circus in the water. <laughs> There's fish going everywhere. And, oh, I don't know, it was like I never even got a chance to shoot stuff myself because I was busy loading guns and stuff while they were dispatching fish. And Yeah, you got two boys, don't you? Yeah. And they're both passionate Spiros? Oh, yeah. And their kids, are they starting to spear as well now? Oh, they're still a bit young yet. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, the oldest one's about maybe hmm, five, going on six, oh, or eight, yep, something yep. like that, you know. Yeah. But he's he's been in the water swimming around with fish and stuff. Yep. So I think there's a time coming. Yeah. <laughs> not too far away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your dad was a spearer too, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, um, when he was young... He uh, had a bout of cancer and then he decided he's going to have to do something after, you know, he got sort of sorted out. He, he wanted to get his um, physical self back together and he started, started swimming and started spearfishing and, well, he, he spent from about, I suppose, 35, 38 years of age Loving spearfishing. Yeah, right. And, of course, I got wrapped in it as well, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, you start out going out following him around while he was getting a few crayfish and that. And, uh, you know, when you when you get to the point where you can actually shoot something and you get a fish, well, nothing's going to stop you from there, yeah. is it? Nah. Uh, I've, I've always um, followed on and... You just you just seem to get more of a knack for it. You get to know what you're doing, mm. and I've never not enjoyed doing it. Um, are there people that have been influential for you, like that you've learnt stuff off that you've um, that you've learned with? Um. Uh, I, I I guess just being with my dad and his mates, and and Mum used to go out as well, and she used to shoot a few fish, and that's. You know, a good start, but then uh, I don't know if you've heard of Bob Bartle. He he sort of started taking me down the southwest and so on uh, when I was pretty young. And he used to put us on areas where you know where fish were and that. And it was he he sort of took us in hand for a while until um, you know he he um, got taken by a white shark. Oh wow. After that, I sort of left to do my own stuff, basically. Uh, I used to still go out with my parents and that, diving, because they uh, dad built a boat 
there wasn't that many boats around in those days, so you mm. know, that was pretty good. Was it a good boat? It was a Bondwood Hartley design boat. Um, had a fiberglass outer layer, and it was a good boat for many years. Mm. Good old sixty horsepower Evan Rude <laughs> from way back then. Yeah. You were talking earlier about, you know, not only has spearfishing gear changed, but boats have changed. Oh. Um, they they got really good and. It seems like the seventies or eighties, and then there was a period where I don't know if they went backwards for a while, but now they seem to have taken leaps and bounds ahead again. But so expensive, and then you add in all the electronics as well. And I mean, it probably looks nothing like fishing fifty years ago. But um, oh, when when I started um, going out by myself, you know, uh, I. Built my own little Bondwood boat. It was 13 foot 7 long. Yeah, right. And um, I put a layer of glass over the outside of that. And I had that for many years. We used to go incredible distances um, in that. Uh, you know, trips of like 30 miles there and 30 miles back and that sort of thing. Wow. And we used to get so many fish back in the old days. It was just unbelievable. How many man hours is there in building a 14 foot boat? Uh, man, that's a long time ago. I'm not yeah. going to tell you that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I built all the frames, you have them all set up, and you've got to put your keel in and all your stringers and put all the ply on. You've got to fit it. There's a fair bit. Yeah. I yeah. did the whole thing by myself. and. Would you believe it? I cut all the frames and stuff with a about a it'd be only about twelve inch long little tenon saw. Mm. Did everything with that. There's no thing, no such thing as a band saw or anything back in those days for us anyway. Yeah, well. And then you know you got to build your trailer and all this sort of stuff. Oh yeah. It sounds like like I I, I feel like even for myself personally like um, the. The, the kinesthetic skills, the you know, the just the that sort of rugged independence to just go out and create, build stuff, make mistakes, learn, adapt. Um, some of us, you know, we don't like we live in a bit of a different world, you know. Like everything's become very specialised. A lot of people are very good at very specific things, but sometimes we, I don't know, speaking for myself personally, lack the general skills to be able to go out and do something like that from scratch, and and the time and effort required, I think. Yeah, it's a matter of necessity, I think. Mm. I mean, when you're bringing up kids and stuff like that, you don't have money to throw around and that sort of thing. I've had, since that Bondwood boat, I've had a one fibreglass boat that was um, half built by uh, the boat builder and I've sort of finished off the top of it and all that sort of stuff, which is pretty simple. Um but the last one I've got here, I got a guy to flop the just the shell of it, and I put all the um, reinforcing in it, and the floor, and and the gunnel, and all that sort of stuff. Um, built the false transom into it, and the anchor well at the front, and all that sort of stuff. Far out. And and that one's been going now for 27 years. That's good effort. <laughs> I don't know how many motors it's seen, but I'd say it's up around 10 or 11. Far out. Yeah. You wear them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, we were, I was laughing with you earlier about WA people have a very different ad, attitude towards driving long distances, I think. Um, boating long distances, is that a, much of a thing when you're here? Like um, how, far, how far out are a lot of your... Well, I'm not asking you for specific, specific oh. spots or anything like that, but how, how often are you heading out quite wide and how wide is wide? Oh, look, I mean, if you go out to Rottnest and you want to chase mackerel or something, you're probably going to go to West End. That's about 20 nautical miles, I suppose, from the coast here. Yeah, wow. Uh, it's not, that's not what you call a long trip out. Yep. Um, but that's probably about as far as you go along this coast here for many miles. Um, from Two Rocks, you can go out to Direction Bank. That's uh, about 20 mile out. Uh, you're getting into deep water there. Um, mm. And if you go out to Turtle Dove Shoal, that's uh, it would have to be close to 40 miles out. Far out. Yeah, so that, you know, that's... Um, you want a nice day for that. Yeah. But you don't get them all the time. <laughs> yeah. What's your, um, what are you going out of most of the time these days? What, what's the boat? It's an 18 foot um, Huntress. It's a, sort of like a, it's a flop from a Hanes, basically, I think, with a few mods. Okay. It's got the um, reverse chines on it. And it, I mean, my boat's just a, it's. Bearing boat. It's a very much a spearing boat. Yeah. Very, very basic. Yeah, cool. Um, what about scary stuff for you, Barry? I mean, we already we, we had a couple of great um, shark stories there, but um, and we talked about line management as well and getting tangled up with that tuna and fighting yeah. it on the surface. What Have other things happened that have scared the crap out of you and you, you learned some big lessons along the way that you can think of? I don't. I wouldn't say so scary, but there's been a few occasions where we've had like difficult things to do. Um, one time I was down around Augusta with my dad, and we were probably uh, I'd have to guess 15 miles away from the boat ramp, at least that far, I'd say, and. Something had happened with the fuel. We got water in the fuel or something and couldn't get the motor to run. It was blowing, like, pretty hard. It was getting harder. It was probably blowing well over 30 knots by the time decided that we're going to have to jump in the water and, and swim the boat. We're, we were That was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and we started swimming. We were going about 45 degrees across the wind, I suppose, so it wasn't... Horrific, but you still had to control the boat and keep it going in a direction and avoid all the um, bombies and breaking water and stuff. And by about, this was winter time, and by about half past five, the sun was just about gone. And um, we kept swimming, kept swimming. And at one point there, you know how, have you ever been in the water after the sun's actually set and you can still see? Yeah. We were going along and then all of a sudden I spotted a dewey on the bottom. I, I went back to the boat, grabbed my gun, dived down and shot it and then swam like hell to try and catch up with the boat because there was, I think there was five of us towing the boat, swimming it back. And um, anyway, got that in the boat and started helping tow the boat again. And um, it was, I think it was about half past nine at night when we finally got 
to a point where we could anchor the boat in sheltered water. Far and out. then one of my mates and I s- swam back into the shore, got washed up on the bloody rocks because we couldn't see what was going on. And we walked into town, which was about, oh, I don't know, three quarters of an hour walk or something. Um, and yeah, so they brought a, a fishing boat around to pick up the boat and take it actually into a proper sheltered area overnight. Far out. And then we had to swim back out in the morning and, and swim the boat back into the shore and put it on the trailer, you know. But I didn't enjoy swimming there in the dark, mate. You couldn't see anything yeah. after about 6 o'clock, you know. It was just pitch black. Swimming swimming um, through swell, like coming into a headland or a beach, like, yeah. and, like that's the scary part for me. Like Obviously, being in deep water and in the dark would be pretty oh, scary yeah. as well. Down there, I was a bit worried, mate, because I know some of the things that are around there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Far out. Jeepers, that's a shaping experience. Did that change the way you think about, do you, do you guys radio in to um, Coast Guard VMR these days? I mean, what's your... Well, back in those days, you didn't have a radio, you know. Mm. But, I mean, these days, you would do that. I had another experience um, out at Turtle Dove Shoal. There was... Two boats, we usually go out with more than one boat, um, if you can, but it doesn't always happen. But anyway, um, we were just doing our drift thing, you know, someone's in the boat and the other guys are uh, drifting along, picking up fish, and you swap over, you know, after someone gets a fish, then they've got to go back in the boat and yep. so on. But anyway, uh, the... Other boat, I noticed the guy was cleaning the fish and stuff in the bottom and he wasn't watching where the other guys were apparently. he came come back up to us and said, can't find them. So anyway, we spent, we did a, it was nice, reasonably flat water and we, he said, you know, saw him so long ago, 20 minutes ago or something. You get big currents out there, so it's pretty, pretty bad really. Anyway, we did a few passes down where I thought might be or something. And anyway, after I think about 40 minutes, I said, you know, we don't really have a clue. And this other guy didn't have a clue. So uh, radioed in and we were lucky that uh, a fishing boat somewhere picked up our uh, radio call, but we didn't know they'd picked it up. And, um, Anyway, we could because we didn't know whether someone was coming or not. We just carried on searching, and after about another three quarters of an hour, we actually found them, oh, which wow. was lucky. Um, what they'd done, they'd actually stuck a spear into the bottom to anchor themselves and hang on because the current's like two and a half knots or something. You know? Oh, yeah. It's it's actually ripping. That's why you've got to do, you know, drifts with the boat. Mm. Anyway. About 10 minutes after that, we see a plane overhead <laughs> and um, uh, then it wasn't much longer, probably about another five minutes after that, we saw a big boat coming. So it was the um, Marine Rescue come out. That's a pretty good response. It was, yeah. We were, we were really lucky, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're 40 mile out and back, we're not allowed to have a, you know, I mean, you had to use the bloody old cheap E-poop. bloody radios um to um and you you don't get that you know it's only line of sight yeah 
Um, so we're lucky a, a fishing boat picked it up, hey? Yeah, and then repeated it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah I okay. mean, that, that's pretty scary. I, I, I was pretty concerned about that mm. because out there there's nowhere to go, mate. That's, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's just wide open ocean yeah. in every direction. And you wouldn't even know what direction to go in, you know. That's mm. the scary bit. Yeah, well, current's not always predictable, is it? it, it, it one lit one, the current might bridge somewhere, and part of it heads southwest, and the other part heads southeast. Or yeah, and, uh, you don't know I, which side they are of it. And it no. swirls and does all sorts of crazy stuff. Well, when the uh, sea rescue guys got out there, I said, "Sorry, guys, but you know we have found them anyway." But I said at that point, because of what the current is, we had to make the call. You know, yeah, you can't do anything else. It sounds like everyone sort of. Took stock of the situation, made the right calls. Um, being that bloke that um, had his head down and lost his, the, his divers, I mean, you'd feel you that silly. That. You might not want to tell the other boat. Yeah. So at yeah. least he told you, and, and everyone was on board with it, and then you made the call to radio. Some people were a bit hesitant to do it, but if you're out that far and you've lost them, like, I mean, it's it can be life or death. Oh, no, no two ways about that. You're not, not going to swim back to shore from there. Mm. And you wouldn't even know where you were going. Yeah. You know, you've got nothing to... You can't see anything. Mm. No, it's a pretty scary spot. Today's podcast is brought to you by Killshot Spear Guns. Ed Martin makes dependable, reliable, simple spear guns that you can rely on. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. But it's not just me saying it. Have a listen to what this bloke's got to say about it. Well, I just love Ed Martin's Kill Shot Spear Guns. They just shoot fish all day long. But it's not just the Americans saying it. He's even sold some spear guns in the UK. That's right, Shrek. I just love a Kill Shot Spear Gun. I've been shooting bass and all sorts of cod and pollock and God knows what down here in the lock and around and uh, this is the end of my accent. But uh, yeah, I love Kill Shot Spear Guns. Keep them coming, Ed. And uh, even the Australians are getting in on it. Ed makes a quality, reliable uh, platform. Have a listen to what um, Stu had to say when I got hold of him last time. Oh, gee, Shrek, I got on to bloody kill shot spear guns last time. I heard you gobbing on about them on the podcast. And I just got on. I wanted a reliable, uh, bloody uh, tough spear gun. So I got on kill shot. I saved. I used the code, the bloody uh, noob code there, the nooba, and on killshotspearguns.com. Got myself an American bit of uh, timber spear gun. And jeepers, mate, this thing is shooting crocs on... Oh, this, it's so bloody good, mate. Uh, don't don't listen to me about the crocs, say it's illegal, but I do like to shoot the odd bearer. <laughs> Get onto him. Get into him. I'm out. See you, mate. You didn't just hear it from me. Buy American-made performance at killshotspearguns.com. Get $30 off any spear gun when you use the code NUBA on killshotspearguns.com. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. Get Adam's course and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. 
who are your favourite people to dive with these days? I mean, like, and I'm not talking, well, you can n- name a couple of them if you like, but I'm talking more of their characteristics and behaviour. What makes them good dive buddies? Oh, look, I've got a lot of guys that I like going and diving with, but I, in all honesty, I, I like diving with my boys more than anyone else. Yeah, right. We're all, all of the same mind, you know. Yeah. And um, they are good divers, uh, very, very persistent divers. They, they don't give up easy. I like diving out with Vin because he's, he's um, very capable. Once in a while I get a fish that he doesn't get, so I'm pretty happy about that too. <laughs> it's pretty rare. but um, And uh, Phil G is a good diver. He's, he's nice to dive with as well. Uh, and there's a, quite a few guys that I don't mind diving with. Um, Capability is important as well, and I, I mean just, I guess. No, not really. I, I don't think... Um, I don't think capability comes into it. I mean, I'm, I I don't go out and dive in extra deep water if I don't have to, and and most guys can dive pretty deep these days. You know, I mean, my two boys, given if they had a couple of weeks diving, they'd be hundred foot divers anyway. You know, they can dive it pretty much even if it, if Lee hasn't been out for about well, three three months or something. If I took him out in hundred foot, he'd make sure he got there. <laughs> Far out, yeah. Far out. Ah, um, it's a, it, yeah, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Barry. I, you know, like um, I feel like I could pick your brains for two days on spearing. Um, if I could head down out with a sort of a faster pace around the questions, I mean, um, you've been a WA diver pretty much all your life. Have you travelled and speared much? Is that a passion of yours? Uh, it is. I mean, if I got the opportunity, I would. I've. Um I did go to Peru for the World Championships way back. Yeah. Um, I've been to New Caledonia for the Inter-Pacifics. Yep. Um, I've dived in Tahiti and I've dived, oh, I said New Caledonia, didn't I? I've been yeah. to Mozambique. Oh, wow. Right. Um, Cocos Islands. Yep. You know, probably that's about as far as I've been what what, what place. what's the one place that's on your dream list? I'd I'd like to go somewhere to shoot a decent sized tuna. Um, Yellowfin or doggy? Oh, not fast. <laughs> not fast, really. Um, I mean, I've seen some big doggies over off Mozambique there, but I can't dive that deep. Mm. I've seen them out in. It'd have to be. Oh, it'd have to be probably. I'm going in feet and inches here. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> um, it's pr- probably, you know, 160 feet or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. It's just beyond my capabilities. Uh, I've shot some small ones out there, but not not anything that I, you know, brag about. At the Cocos, I've shot some media, mediocre ones um, and enjoyed that. Actually, at the Cocos, we were shooting them with Pranger guns, you know. Yeah. Single rubber, three eight spear with a pranger on it. Far out. Punch it into them. I, I I think I got thirteen in one trip, and, and um, <laughs> killed every one of them. Yeah, right. You you don't look at the fish. You just look at the spot you're going to stick that spear in. Yeah. Yeah. Far out. And if you don't kill them out there, the sharks get them anyway. Yeah. There's so many sharks. I've seen a lot of sharks in. Um, 
Queensland, you know, out on the in the coral sea and that. Mm. But Cocos is like a whole new world. Yeah, wow. Yeah, hundreds of sharks come out at a time. Mm. Um, if a young diver comes up to you, like at an event or something, and they say, um, you know, what's the one thing that you would, one bit of advice you'd give me in my starting my spearfishing? What 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 would you recommend I do? Regarding competitions? Oh, anything. Just spearfishing in general. I'd say be the last guy out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, and you can't get fish if you're out of the water, you know. Yeah. The opportunities come and it's surprising. Lots of times, even after we've cleaned fish and that, I'll jump back in just to have another look. Yeah, right. Love it. That's a good one. It's a different one too. All right, last question. Um You've, been, you've spent more time in the water, I think, than just about anyone I've had on the podcast. Um, what does spearfishing mean to you in one or two sentences? What does it still mean to you? Well, spearfishing, it's my whole life. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't change it for anything else, yeah. you know. I do, I've done other things, but I've never gone away from spearfishing. It's always been there. You know, if, if there was something else that came on the same date, it would still be spearfishing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Love um, it, Barry, and I love the fact that you've kept the same level of enthusiasm and, and froth for it. I think um, it's one thing that all sparrows have in common to varying extents is that, you know, that, that, that love for it, that, that passion, and obviously after so much time doing it, you've proved that you've got that in spades. So awesome to have you on the podcast. Um, people can obviously come and find you, Aussie Reels. Is it .com or .com.au? You'll get it under any. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. It's got all those domains. And Aussie Reels on all the social media and all that sort of stuff. And Yep. So come check out the Aussie Reels and you've got wetsuits and all sorts of stuff happening on there. So awesome, Barry. Thanks very much. Hey guys, um, this is just part one uh, of five interviews that I did in WA. I've only recently returned, I had an absolute blast. On the same day I got to interview Barry Paxman in his house, which you just listened to, and later on that evening I got to interview Vin Rushworth, who is over uh, right now completing in the Interpax in Tahiti, and uh, he's a fantastic guy, marine biologist. He's up next week, and then I've got three episodes I recorded on the, on the road with uh, my host for the trip and dive buddy Joel and Bert from Old Man Blue. We had an absolute blast traveling up further north on the WA coastline because as I flew in, the demersal ban started for three months on that Saturday. So anyway, hey, if you love the podcast, you want to support it, you want to help me get out and do trips like the one I just did to WA where I got to interview Barry in person, jump on patreon.com forward slash noobspero considering supporting the podcast on an episode by episode basis i'd really appreciate it and it keeps the fuel in the outboard here at the noobs bureau all good my friends um that's it for me next week vin rushworth or captain vin maybe i'll fill you in on the joke with that next week 
Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price beat guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%.